1: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com.
2: I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. Well, what I learned at 20
1: is easy. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going?
3: I'm very good, Bryce. I'm very excited for this interview. Uh, we've spoken to some big names in our time, but for me and uh, for my family, probably no bigger name than this. Uh Big swans supporting family, the Renahans. Dad's midlife crisis was to find AFL and to find the swans. And so this is a real, real big moment for me.
1: That's it. It is our absolute pleasure to welcome Andrew Pridham to Equity Mates. Andrew, welcome. Thanks, guys. So, uh, Andrew is the co-founder of Molus & Company, where he currently serves as the vice chairman and was previously the chief executive officer. The reason Alec is excited is because he is also the chairman of the AFL club, Sydney Swans, and has just released his book, What Matters? Secrets of Great Leaders, Business Builders and Professional Investors. So, we're going to be unpacking all of that over the next 40 minutes or so, and we can't wait. So, um, let's crack in.
3: Yeah, and Andrew, I promise it's not all going to be Swans chat because you've had a Pretty incredible career uh, before the Swans, and we really want to unpack that um, to start with. But at the very start, we want to go all the way back to the beginning. We want to. We like to start these interviews by hearing the story of someone's first investment. We generally find there's a good lesson or a good story that comes out of it. So to kick us off today, can you tell us the story of your very first investment?
2: Very first? Well, that's a long time ago. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know what it would have been. My first investment. Um,
3: Maybe the first one you remember
2: then. The first, well, I can't remember
3: it. <laughs> <laughs> Look,
2: I think my first my first investment of substance probably was a my first house, mm. um, which I remember buying for I think two hundred twenty five thousand dollars. It was a freestanding house with a garage in Cremorne, and. Uh, I regret ever selling it yeah. and uh, that was that was a real stretch i was very nervous when i bought that it was back in during the recession in 1991 i think it was you know i've had a love affair with with houses and residential ever since because i think they're great investments
1: no doubt i remember my dad uh he has always said if you manage to get a property especially in in the cities never sell because uh, we had some down in richmond and sold them and what could have been but yeah um, a defining point in your career, Andrew, was uh, leaving UBS to co-found the Australian arm of Mollus. Take us back to that time. What was it like striking out on your own? Um, you know, how did industry receive you, and and how did that sort of how did you go about building the arm of Mollus here in Australia? I, d- I had done
2: it before because I I left UBS in two thousand and one, I think it was two thousand two, two thousand two, and I intended to retire. I thought that. I'd had enough, and I'd joined the Sydney Swans board so we can get onto footy now.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and,
2: and I thought, this is going to be great. I'll just retire and and uh, do some footy stuff. I love footy. Then I, the clients would call me and say, you know, can you look at this or like that? So I just started helping clients and... and very quickly, was very busy, and uh, that became a boutique invest investment bank, um, which was called First Provident. Which I then hired some some people, and the two key employees were Chris Wyke and Julian Biggins who are now the co CEOs of MA Financial Group, which was Miles Australia. JP Morgan acquired that that business after a couple of years of of running that, and, and we went. I went and ran JP Morgan, and so having gone from you know UBS boutique. J.P. Morgan and then after the, um, the the financial crisis was a really difficult time for everybody and, and J.P. Morgan, if you remember back in, in the middle of the GFC, was one of the very few global banks that, that really thrived and it was very, very strong. Jamie Dimon um, led it magnificently and we were in the middle of everything that was going on. It was crazy. Um, every day we'd come into By the end of that, I was pretty exhausted. And uh, I actually intended to re- retire. That was my my plan. And Julian and Biggins and Chris White, very entrepreneurial guys, much more than me. They wouldn't be wearing a tie like I am. <laughs> that was an open shirt. But they they were really keen to build a business, and uh, they convinced me ultimately to, to to join them. So we we got together, and our, our business plan was really simple, and that was get some good people together. Get some capital and do stuff. Nice, that, that. A- easy. That was our that was our <laughs> business plan. I didn't even we, we didn't even write it down, and so we we started um, very small. I think um, in 2009 we had five people, and, and now we've got over 400 people. You know, market caps 1.5 billion, 1.4 billion. One of the things I'm really proud of is that since starting the business back then, we didn't know where it was going to lead. It was an investment banking business. We've delivered shareholders 35% per annum compound return for 12 years, which is, so if you invested $100,000 when we started, it's now worth $10 million.
0: So we're we're pretty, pretty
2: proud of that. It's snakes and ladders building a business just like investment mm. and uh, you, go, you go slowly up the, the ladder and, and quickly down the snakes and, and over a year that happens, over many years that happens, as long as you're getting better every year. That's the exciting bit.
3: Mm, mm. So you've, uh, you've had a few cracks at retirement and none of them have stuck. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to say, uh, you know, the the next step and the step after that. You've just mentioned some of the investment banks you've worked for, some of the biggest in the world: J.P. Morgan, UBS, Mollus. What have you learned from that experience? Um, and we'll we'll unpack a lot of it in when we talk about the book. But just yeah, high level, what what are some of the big learnings?
2: Uh, look, I think global investment banks. Uh you know, they serve a pretty important role in terms of capital formation in, uh, in the world. I think one of the things I'd say is that the big global banks are all very similar. They're, they're different, but they're similar. And a, a Swiss culture, I guess, of a UBS and a JP Morgan, which is a very American um, culture, they're different, but they're the same. Yeah. Um, and they've got many great aspects to them. They're great organisations and, and they do you know a lot of good things, um, a lot of good people. I think the difficult parts about it, and and ultimately what drove me not to want to work in those in that, in those environments was more self determination, if you like, because you're very much um, at the whim of people in in New whether it's in New York or London or Hong Kong, um, and you get caught up in in all that bureaucracy. and And Ken Mollis, who's who's our business partner, uh, who founded Mollis and Company, who's a he used to run UBS, um, and he's an inspirational guy. And his his joke about partnering with us is Australians are unownable, um, and by that he mean, he means that we you know Australians I think by just by character we're free spirits we don't like to be told particularly by Americans or English or anybody what to do we we like to do things the way we want to do them and by and large Australians do things really really well and you know, that that's the very, the big difference in what we what we are now as an Australian owned business versus a, a I guess a division of a conglomerate global um, financial services
3: beast. Yeah. You started at UBS. You just mentioned Ken Mollis was ex-UBS. The Baron Joey guys, I'm pretty sure they're ex-UBS as well. Yeah. Is there something in the water <laughs> yeah. of UBS?
2: breeding ground. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, look, in, in Australia, I joined UBS. It was really my first you know, proper job, if you like, in, mm. in banking back in, what was it, 1990 eight and it was a tiny you know it was it, it started its 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 evolution into, you know, becoming a market leader was pretty interesting. It's had a lot of great people go go through it. I mean, um, you know, the the Baron Joey guys and you've got uh, uh, Chris Mackay, who's one of the mm, Magellan yeah. founders, um and there's a pretty good alumni
3: Yeah, unbelievable.
2: come out of it. Yeah. Um so it's I think that happens in organisations, and you know, it's footy clubs it happens, mm. you know, you get uh, just some success comes through, and it tends to success breeds success. And if you're around good people, you t- people tend to to get better, and, and they become more successful. So I think that you know there's a bit of a network. I mean, sure we all hate each other, but uh, no, 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 we don't. We actually don't. Uh, we just pretend we do. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot of guys around from yeah. UBS,
1: Andrew. One, you know, we're all sort of outside outside observers as as to what happens in these big institutional banks. What is something that you think retail investors often get wrong about the institutional side of the markets?
2: The institutional side of the markets, uh, I don't know what the retail investor would would even want to know about the institutional side because they probably don't need to know too much other than they're they're big and they do lots of stuff. <laughs> yeah. um, I think all investors, whether it's retail or even institutional investors, and I you know I deal with a lot of institutional investors. I think there's a a general simplification and misunderstanding of of how things work in in the financial markets generally and i'm talking about when i'm talking about investment banking so how emerges and acquisitions transaction a takeover how that actually happens you know what leads a company a you know, company a to buy company b what's the process for it to happen you know why does a company raise money you know equity on the stock market why does it do a bond issue how does it do it how long does it take what what's involved I think if you're not involved in it, in, in the really mechanical aspects of it, um, firstly, it's probably pretty boring to even care how it happens because who cares, it just happens. But it's also very complex and there's a lot of things that go into it and that's it's not just the technical aspects of uh, the legal side and the accounting and tax and all those sorts of things but it's also the the human aspect of it that that what we call the social issues for example uh, which I talk about in you know, give the, the book a plug the social issues it only impacts about a hundred percent of public takeover deals for example which is and the social issues are who's going to be the ceo who's going to be the chairman who's going to stay on the board who's going to be the cfo when you merge two companies where you end up with two of everything Mm -hmm. and what i think investors generally don't understand is how that process occurs and things aren't always as natural i think everyone there's a there's a tendency for investors to have a simplified view of life that, oh, yeah, it made sense. That company will buy that company and that's, this will happen. And, and it's never that simple.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, and things that might appear to have been logical to have occurred may have taken years to have happened and, and only happened by, you know, the finest of margins because, you know, finally one of the CEOs said, all right, I'll, you know, pay me enough money and I'll leave sort mm. of thing. Mm. Until you've been in it and understand that human emotion drives – um, the deal-making in, in the markets as much as, you know, the, the numbers do, really.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Andrew, uh, in your time uh, at across investment banking, um, have you developed a personal investing philosophy?
2: Absolutely. And it, it's been a very expensive process, <laughs> uh, <laughs> fine-tuning, fine-tuning my investment prowess, I can tell you. Look, I think that the lessons, of you know, that I've learned in investing are, you know, many... And what suits me suits me but doesn't suit everybody. I think generally I, my, my advice to people, whether it's friends or family, or often footballers want advice on money, and God knows why they come to me, but they do. They also asked me how to you know do a talk from sixty out buddies, often commenting you know, <laughs> do you think i 'm holding the ball right now anyway I, I digress,
3: and Andrew is apparently taking the biggest specky at the swans ever <laughs> yeah i 've got got i
2: 'll get my phone and show you later. <laughs> you can put it on your website it's unbelievable um, I think for most people is really diversification so that they 're not putting all their eggs in one basket and and I think buying a house for example, is you know really important you know and and i genuinely believe that that's, that's a, the cornerstone for most people to invest in a house and then leverage it appropriately and then use that leverage to go and do other things, you know, superannuation, all those sorts of things um, is important. I think finding the right people, it's it's more important for most people to find the right people to manage their money for them rather than try and do it themselves. And, and the biggest mistake I think most people make and I've made, I don't make it too much anymore or at all anymore, is the old... You get a tip. Someone says, "Look, you know, this is great." You know, it's like horse racing or something. You know, this company can't lose. Go and you know, do it. Go and buy Bitcoin or go yeah, and do a this yeah, kind yeah, of. Yeah. If you don't understand it, and it and don't just don't do it because you know the snakes and ladders analogy is a really good one because you know you'll make some wins and then you get seduced into doing more and more and you you know you'll put more bigger and bigger bets and then bang you'll yeah. lose it all. And you know I've done that repeatedly and you know I've seen. People do it repeatedly. And I think that the key is finding the right people to, to, to help you manage the money, give it to them. And if they're doing a good job, just leave it there. Don't don't panic. Don't say, oh, I think the market's going to collapse tomorrow. Read an article in the newspaper. I'm going to do this. Going to do that. Just get the right people and leave it there and assess it every few years. And if they're not doing a great job, maybe you move, yeah. move it. Don't give it all to one person. Spread it around, all those sort of things. Personally... I'm a very different investor, which is, you know, I I tend to have a relatively small number of things I invest in. Real estate's one of them, but also stocks where I will take large positions and just sit on them. Mm. I talk about in in the book, a study that was was published in the Washington Post many years ago, and I thought it was the best ever um, investment paper I've read. And I tried to recreated so mine's slightly better. <laughs> um, I did pinch it from somebody but no it's it's been updated but and it was all about the great companies you know in the last 20 years and I'm talking about the the apples the microsofts of the world and and you know, these trillion dollar companies have repeatedly and regularly halved and then halved again and then doubled so on their journey from Ten cent shares, five cent shares, of Apple. Whether it's you know, it's a good example. Through to you know where it is today, a trillion dollar company. It's it's been a roller coaster. Mm. And if, if, if as an investor, if you're reactive, and every time you read bad news or the market falls, or you, you sell. You, you're just going to miss. Mm. You're not going to time it. You're not going to time it. Just stick. What's your uh, portfolio positioning in Bitcoin? <laughs> uh, it's a very Interesting one. I don't have any that I'm aware of. In, <laughs> um, in, I just sold my Tesla. That's um, look. I Bitcoin's a mysterious beast to me, and I, I, my instincts are it's 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 real, uh, but it's not something. It's not something that I've invested in, but that's probably because I don't understand it. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't discount it in the future. I think, yeah. it's, I think it is real. I think yeah. it's here to stay. Yeah.
1: So, Andrew, let's turn to the business of sport because you have been involved in the Sydney Swans for almost twenty years. Uh, you've been chairman since two thousand and thirteen. What have you learned about the business of sport in this time? Sport and business are completely different. Animals,
2: and a lot of people I, I see when they get involved in professional sports, when they've had a business background, they'll suddenly become chairman or president of an AFL club, for example. And if they say, "I can do this because it's just like business," you know that they don't know what they're talking about. Um, if you're a supporter of that club, be very worried because <laughs> um, it's it's completely different. There are clearly parallels between. Sport and business, and I love using sporting analogies for you know everyday life. I use it all the time, but they're completely different. I mean, sport is about you know there's far more about passion. You know, there's far more passion in it, and and the story I'll often the analogy I'll often give is you know, if if you're running a football club. Your customers are fans. They're passionate. They might have had multiple generations. Mm. You know, they bleed for your club. They love it. They know the players. They love the players. If you lose year on, year in, year out, they'll keep coming back. They'll keep coming back because it's it's in their blood. They love it. And for them, success is winning a game on a weekend and, and hopefully some finals and hopefully premierships. But that's what success is, delivering a profit, 99.9% Ninety nine point nine percent of fans wouldn't know whether you were profitable or not yeah. and they and they wouldn't care less. Yeah. What they want is for you to win. They want you to have great players and they want to they want to be inspired and that's what sport's about. It's about the passion. And you know, business, you know, shareholders,
3: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they
2: they, they don't really barrack for you, do oh.
3: they? Bryce was barracking for Afterpay pretty hard. Yeah. <laughs> Bryce is one of the exceptions. Yeah, yeah. But, um,
2: I, I find shareholders, you know, they, they barrack for you as long as you're winning. Yeah. And if you start losing, they suddenly barrack for another team mm-hmm. pretty quickly. So it's far more um, transactional, I guess, business in the sense that – that share, and fair enough, you know, it's, it, money involved. Shareholders are in it for um, returns. They want dividends. They want share price appreciation. It's very different in that sense. A lot of the business principles that you would use in business can be applied to the, the business of sport. But at the end of the day, what matters in sport is winning, mm. and that's and you can never lose sight of that. And I think you know football clubs uh, and any any sporting organisations at time and you see it you know in you know with cricket from, you know in recent times lose sight of what what it's about. And what it's about is winning. Mm. Mm. That's as simple as that. And you can pretend it's about changing the world and everything else. That's all important, and that's part of the social contract of sport that you you actually do good things and help advocate for causes. But at the end of the day, it's about winning. Mm
3: -hmm. And
2: business is about profits.
3: Yeah. The Swans have one of the best reputations in the league in terms of how well run the organisation is and, you know, I think a lot of that credit lies with you. Um, and I think a lot of the lessons in, in that are in the book, What Matters. Can you unpack unpack it a little bit? Um, you know, how did the Swans get that reputation? How how? What have you learnt, taken from your business career and from your experience at the Swans to really... Get the Swans organization running really well, and I guess most importantly, what can a team like Bryce's Essen and Bombers learn from uh, your leadership? We don't the need Swans? to learn anything. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Premiers 2024, <laughs> how long have we got? Yeah.
2: <laughs> the Bombers. The Bombers. <laughs> um, look, I, I think there are many parallels in sports. so firstly where did this you know where is the reputation and success of the sydney swans come from the swans have been around for almost 150 years the baton is passed year after year and i think since in its time in sydney there's you know had many opportunities to go broke had many opportunities to go broke before it came to sydney and it was it's really a succession of great people who have taken you know the club from from where it was to where it is today and um you know people like um, Peter Wine at Basil Sellers, and a guy who's um, actually chairman of our asset management business, Richard Collis, is, it looms pretty large in, in that, and he was chairman for 20, 20 years. I think it's about just building on success, and, and it's about great people, and just getting better every year, and making sure that you have the right culture, and, and cultures to me is everything. The, the lessons I've learned in sport apply very much to business where it's all about culture, it's about people, it's about playing people in the right position. I'm a big believer in that. Um, someone that's great, and I use the analogy often in the in the, use it in the book, but I, I I use it often just because, you know, someone's a great full forward and they might be the greatest full forward of all times. You know, Tony Lockett, for example. Try and play them in the back line they'd be hopeless put mm. them in the midfield terrible so you've got to play people in positions and if that's how people reach their full potential and i think the culture of the swans which is you know built up over a long period of time is really about excellence and just having a good culture good good people doing the right things doing the basics and not trying to overpromise and i think that's that's something we've you know been pretty careful about mm. I and mean, we don't we don't make bold predictions we just try and achieve you know gradually and get better. And.
3: Well, you say bold predictions. Bryce and I make bold predictions on the show every year. And one for me is often that the Swans will win the premiership. And <laughs> I'm yet to be right, but I, I think I will say.
1: <laughs> I'm also just imagining Tony Lockett playing in the midfield. It's quite a funny sight. Uh,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> well, yes, yeah, so
2: I've, I've got many plugger stories. But, yeah, But, uh, it, but playing in position is, is really important. It's something I've learnt in, in – uh, certainly have applied a lot in business is you can have somebody who um isn't terribly isn't succeeding in a certain role and if you can move them to another role which they might be more suited to and they and they flourish and yeah. that's that's the the art of management i think i think it's you know it is a great learning from sport is if you can get people and allow them to play in their best position then they they can reach their full potential if you play them in the wrong position they won't
3: a key part of the the book is around great leadership and in preparing for this interview uh, we found an example that required leadership, probably like none other, at least in the AFL's recent history. Which was uh, in the midst of COVID in 2020, uh, the AFL assembled a war cabinet uh, of which you were a part of: Gillan McLaughlin, Eddie McGuire from Collingwood, Peter Gordon from the Bulldogs, yep. uh, Gill, and then Richard Goyder. Jeff Kent. Don't forget Jeff Kennett. I won't. Oh. <laughs> he would not forgive that. Uh, a pretty. Uh, Powerful war cabinet, but I imagine a time where you had to make some really difficult decisions and you know a lot of the leadership lessons that you write about in the book uh, were really required at that moment. Can you take us into the room at that time and talk about what was required then and what it's been like over the last eighteen months
2: yeah look it was it was an extraordinary time and it happened as we all know so quickly and that you know that was the the amazing um, aspect of it is just how quickly things uh, unraveled in in you know the whole business world, you know, mm-hmm. in society generally, and AFL was no different. We were in uh, we were in Melbourne, and it was uh, the season launch. The presidents get together with the CEOs and the and the AFL Commission, and they have the season launch that, that evening. and And the debate on that day was. Uh, I don't know what we were debating something something trivial in in you know in retrospect, mm. and I was quite focused on this thing called um, coronavirus. I don't know if you're aware of it, but it's quite <laughs> it's quite, quite bad. <laughs> and I was I was focused on it because I I actually got involvement with University of South Australia, and if you remember, the universities were the first yeah. real industry that that seemed to be hit, and everyone was saying, "Oh, the universities, it's really hurting them because of foreign students." Yeah. And so I was quite aware of it and I was sort of thinking at the time and talking to Richard Goyder, who's the chairman of the AFL, this coronavirus this could be a problem. And by the time the meeting ended, mm. the season was in turmoil. The call had come through from the Victorian government. It was turmoil. So it unravelled extremely quickly. No one, There was no rule book. No one knew what was going to happen and the AFL... You know, it was just unfathomable that we couldn't play games. There couldn't be crowds. You know, very, very quickly that led to a whole lot of issues, which which were extraordinarily serious. And I think that football, being football, people probably didn't grab onto them as quickly as they could. Yeah. Um, and they were issues like, if, if you don't play games, you know, what happens with membership revenue? What happens with television rights? Mm-hmm. How do we pay the bills? I mean, the most, you know, the majority of clubs are only. You know, a few bad months away from insolvency, really. So, it was pretty chronic issue, and you know there was no there was no rule book. So we we had to we the war cabinet met um, from you know we were meeting very early in the morning. I'd talk to Gillian McLaughlin you know five in the morning sometimes. Then again at two in the you know two in the morning midnight. Um, it was extraordinary hours. It was very stressful. And there was a genuine prospect that clubs and and even the AFL could um could fail go into administration so it it wasn't a wasn't a great experience I can tell you it was mm. it was very difficult and just extraordinary how the industry has come through it and everyone pulled together uh, that didn't last for, for long obviously it never does in footy <laughs> um, but everyone pulled together and and there was a you know i i think a real collegiate approach to um, solving all of the issues and that was you know, for, you know from members sticking you know, with their clubs uh, the media rights deals staying in place governments mm-hmm. facilitating um, travel bubbles and and games without crowds uh, venues um, facilitating games without crowds so there was a everyone working together government you know clearly assisting with financing and because of that I, I think the games you know, ironically it's genuinely come through in a in a stronger way way in the clubs.
1: I think whilst there's a lot of debt, more debt in the system, I think the clubs are in a really strong position now. Well, as spectators and supporters, it was certainly good to see it uh, get off the ground and looking from the outside, it would have been incredibly challenging, but getting those bubbles in place and still giving the fans the opportunity to support their teams was um, great. Well, it's not
2: nothing better than seeing Collingwood play Essendon with no crowd. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's
1: a... But let's get a that swan, grand the final. That's
2: what supporters dream.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Looking forward to the grand final being back at the G, though. At some point, that'll be that'll be a nice. Oh, wouldn't to see. that be great? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. one,
3: one day at the SCG, maybe. No, no, that'd
1: be no. Look, before we turn to some of the the key uh, takeaways from the book, Andrew, we'll just take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Ready to pop the question? Andrew, you've just written uh, What Matters, Secrets of Great Leaders, Business Builders and Professional Investors. So are you able to give us an overview of the book? What was the key message that you were really trying to get across?
2: Yeah, the, the, it didn't start out as a book. When I, I stepped down as um, CEO of MA Financial Group in at the our results in February 2000, 2020, just as COVID hit. Yeah. So it looked like I was uh, genius. genius. <laughs> it wasn't that way at all. And... That we we're in lockdown, and I, so I was sitting around and I didn't know what to do and I, I was very involved, obviously it was discussed earlier with the with the uh, the AFL, and Chris and Julian were doing a great job running the business and going through all of the crisis management. One of the things I'd undertaken to do when i when I stepped down as CEO because I'm still very involved in the business was to establish the MA Academy, which is unashamably pinched from the Swans Academy. And the concept is that MA Financial Group is is a talent. I, I look at it as a talent factory and our, our greatest asset is our ability to hire great people, train them and retain them. And so the whole idea of the MA Academy was to create a, a learning institute within the business that would actually teach and train our people from the most junior through to the most senior and and teach them not by an, in an academic sense, but teach them very practically, this is how things happen. Mm. And anyone that's been to university knows that the first thing when you get into the real world, into business, you suddenly realise, wow, I, yeah, I learned all this <laughs> stuff. <laughs> <Yeah. And laughs> I learned nothing, yeah. And it's nothing like what we do. And, and yeah, and yeah that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the academy's about... Teaching people okay, this is how you do things and this is why, and actually get some of the best professionals in their field to teach younger people and in some instances have the younger you know people coming through teaching the the older ones and and, and that can be with them it could be technology AI bitcoin there's a whole lot of stuff you can learn three hundred sixty mm. um, because people have different you know, d- different perspectives and so i I thought well I've, I've got to start this academy. I don't really know how to start an academy. Um, and so I just started writing down these are, these are the things I think would be worth teaching. And they became essentially the chapters in the book. Mm. And so I just wrote the book. And it's not, a, it, it's not an academic text because I wrote it so you know, you've got a fair idea it's not. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a lot of footy in there. But it was really just going through various things that I thought were important lessons, for, you know, ranging from how to present to people, whether it's, you know, in a written form or verbally, what are the important lessons that I've learned over time? And the most important lesson is when you present to me is simplicity. Don't overcomplicate it too many. You know, you, particularly younger people that come in come into the business world, they try and overcomplicate things. They use complicated words. They have too much information, too many pages, too many graphs, too many, too many, too many. Mm. And people just want to know the answer mm. generally. Yeah. And so, so one of the lessons is just tell people what they want to know. Tell them the answer, and then if you want to, then write a hundred pages of background. Do it, but put it in the background. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And so that those sorts of lessons, and then and and managing people, you know, you know, you know, I I love managing people. I think that's that's something that's you know critically important, and, and particularly in banking, not many bankers are very good at managing people. Mm. You know, they tend to be focused on themselves and. And I love managing people and I think the lessons of how to do that and the importance of actually getting the best out of people that work you know, with you and for you is fundamental because if you can get the best out of everybody when they work in a team environment, there's no stopping you. Yeah. You know, That's the secret to any great, man, whether it's a football club or a business, if you've got great people and they can all have the ability to reach their full potential and be inspired, encouraged... Given the tools that they need, given guidance if they're doing things poorly to tell them, if they're in the wrong position to move them, you know, treat people fairly, all those sorts of things that are critically important. If, and if you get that right, and then through writing the book, people in our business can, can learn these lessons and get better qu- quicker, I think it just has a knock on effect. And mm. the, the compounding is really important.
3: Mm. So that, that people theme is clearly a key theme in the book and it sounds like it's also been a key theme in your career You're, or, you know, trying to... Your business plan was get capital, get good people and, you know, look where it became billions of dollars in market. Do capital. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Do stuff. <laughs> Do stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, these days if you look at the market, it feels like there's plenty of capital around but the finding great people and then developing great people is, is the real challenge for businesses big and small. Bryce and I are trying to build a business here. Bryce is trying to get on that Forbes 40 under 40 list. As, um, what uh, what advice would you have for us in terms of trying to find the best people and then trying to develop them? Probably
2: the core bit of advice I'd give to anybody is, is everybody in their career becomes, in, in my experience, a um, they, they, they become a carbon copy for those that know what carbon copy is. Yeah. Um, but they, they do become replicas of, of their mentors. So I think... If you guys are good guys, I can see you're high energy. You know, you don't take yourselves too seriously. I can see that. That and that's a core theme that I always try and have. If you are great people and understand what you're doing, deep have a deep vision for what you want to do, you'll inspire people to join you, and they want to join you, and they won't leave. And that's, I think the business plan you have to have is has to be really simple. Don't try and do too much too quickly. Mm. And I I write a lot about that. I I think it's a common mistake that you know I see. You know, what are the common mistakes people make? building a business, one of the simple ones is they try and do everything, and you see it all the time. Like, we're going, this, we're, going this, we're going to do 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 this. Just do one thing really well. Yeah, Do it really well, get really good at it, and then when you're really good at it and get some people and teach them how to do it, you can then move on and do the next thing and do that really well and, and, and just go step by step. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's not rocket science, you know, because only rocket science is. <laughs> um, their core... Core lesson, make sure you've got enough capital yeah. to do what you want. Just get really good, be passionate about it, be really good at it, and don't go too fast. Yeah. Mm. And if, I think if you do that, most people will succeed and, and where people don't succeed is when they either run out of capital or or they go too quickly. And it's like building a it's like doing a renovation, building a business. It always takes longer and it costs more.
0: Yeah.
1: And if you remember that, you're on the path to that's, Mental breakdown yeah,
3: yeah, <laughs> right, right yeah. to success. That's good. That's what other
1: characteristics other than sort of that ability to inspire and have a, a clear vision have you seen across really good business leaders that that they share? One of the core things is authenticity and,
2: you know, you hear, you'll hear people talk about it and a lot of people t- talk about authenticity and they're not authentic, um, which is the irony of, that's, I guess, it's life. But being true to yourself and actually people can spot a phony and if if you're authentic and you you walk the walk, you talk the talk, and you actually get in there and do stuff that's what great leaders do mm-hmm. and what great leaders don't do, and i 've seen this in banking you know over and over is people they think they're a leader because their business card says that they're managing director or they're, they're they've been been around a long time they think they're a leader. And, you know, they dress well. They've got a tie on like me and it's probably not as nice as mine. But you know, <laughs> they've got they got, got shiny shoes, they've got a nice car, they've got a good CV, they've done deals and, you know, they, they're pretty cool. But they're not authentic and they're not real leaders because they don't do the hard work. They don't value their team. They just tell them, go and do this and um, they take all the glory. They're not in the trenches. And great leadership's, I think, largely behaving in a way in which people want to follow. And that means you've got to be a good person, be honest, be fair. Fairness is something I talk about in the book repeatedly. I think fairness is is grossly underrated as a characteristic in, in success. If you're fair with people, whether it's staff, whether it's customers, whoever it is, then everything seems to work. And, and people get better. And the better the better you treat people, the better they'll treat people. And it, it, it's a virtuous circle. And, and if, if you treat people poorly, if you don't do the hard work as a leader, people aren't going to follow you. They're going to say, well, you know, I don't really care. He doesn't really care. I don't, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I think doing the hard work.
3: So you mentioned um, mentors there and, you know, a big part of looking at leadership and I guess becoming a leader is – is looking at mentors and trying to emulate them. Is there anyone that comes to mind in your life, either you know, coming up in business that you really tried to model yourself on, or was a mentor, or these days looking at you know your career in footy? Are there any uh, sportsmen that you're like? I, are there... I don't know if I have a career in footy, but <laughs> <laughs> in uh, involvement in footy, tangential involvement that you look at and you're like, they these guys are just excellent leaders. You know, they they were who were front of mind when I was writing this
2: book. Yeah, look, I, I do, and I've had I've had many clients who you know, I've had the the I guess I've been fortunate to have some great clients over my career, like Frank Lowy. Yeah. Um and to observe how they lead and how they bring the best out in people and how they make decisions, how they take risks. You now, because business is really about, it's a, it's a series of calculated. Risk, you know, risk assessment and making judgments of risk, and and then backing yourself and backing others to, to execute, and and don't take too big a risk that can kill you. Mm. And I've seen that, and I've seen people who've done it really well. I've seen people who've done poorly and failed. So, you know, from my own perspective, I've learnt lots, and there's there's lots of examples in 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 the book. What matters is things I've learnt from people in sport, in business. You know, dealing with politicians, dealing with all sorts of people, the good things I've seen and the bad things I've seen, and and what I try and do is take the good things and don't do the bad things. I'm not always, I'm not perfect, so I get you know I get things wrong plenty of times, but I've still got a number of people who, you know, throughout my career have been very important to me as mentors, and you know it's not bits of you know it's, it, that's that's more a personal connection. I mean someone like Richard Collis. Um, you know, has been an important mentor um, to me, you know, in a football sense. But he was, you know, he started off as a client. The first time I ever met him, he threw me out of a meeting.
3: Oh, wow.
2: Yeah, he was, <laughs> he's been trying to do it ever since. Um, but he's been an important mentor to me. A guy by the name of Peter Crossing, who was who just retired a couple of years ago at UBS, you know, he was an important mentor to me. I, you know, he, he taught me a lot about banking. I think you take, you know, things from different people in different ways. I think I'm a great observer of people and you know it's why I love shows like Seinfeld for example because they're they're observation comedies and i I find that really interesting and I enjoy it you know just observing what people do the good things people do and just how impactful it is with these people and how they impact other people's lives as as you get older and more experienced you you learn that people do watch you if if you're doing something at a high level or successfully people watch you and you are a mentor you can't you can't get away from that, mm. and that's why you've you know you've always got a big game on and and getting better. I don't sit around. I don't read business books. I'm not into all that sort of stuff. But one of the things I say to myself, it's coming that time of year. When I say it is at the end of every year, I do take stock of my the prior year, and I'm an optimist, and yeah. I always look. You know, I'm always optimistic about what's going to happen, and I and I do say to myself, all right, we're going to a new year. I want to be better next year than I was this year. Mm. What can I do better? Mm. and you know i'll think about that i'm thinking about it now like you know, the, you know and and i actively do it and i'll think last year i did you know i did all these good things i'm happy with that it's you know this wasn't so good uh and, I, and these things i really think i can get better at and nice. if, if you can do that every year mm. you will get better as a person
3: yeah mm. yeah i think it's uh heartening that Someone who's achieved the level of success that you have is still always looking, you know, how they can improve and and what they can do better. Yeah.
2: We all can, because you're kidding yourself if you think that, you know, you, everything you do is right. I mean, it's not. I mean, you make lots of mistakes. You worry about things that you shouldn't worry about. We all do that. Um, and you guys, if you, you know, you're building your business, I'm sure you've got a thousand things to worry about. So but much. but yeah. if you if you if you're optimistic, it's amazing how great things can happen.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well Andrew the book is what matters I might Bryce do you want to hold it up to the camera for people watching on YouTube people can get it wherever good books are sold um, where that is <laughs> <laughs> uh, but look we appreciate you taking the time and uh, we appreciate you putting a lot of your lessons into into this book um, we do like to finish with a final three questions uh, but before we do as well as the book if people want to uh, follow you know your work on, the MA Academy, I think you have a podcast these days. The uh, podcast with writings? Adam Spencer, yes. Uh, where should they go
2: to follow? Uh, go to the MA Financial, I think it's mafinancial.com mm-hmm. and you'll you'll find all the podcasts and the, the book and whatever other stuff is on our <laughs> internet
3: of <pop> things. Great. <laughs> nice one. Well, we'll get stuck into these final three questions. Uh, the first one is, do you have any books that you consider must-reads?
2: Well, that's an easy one, isn't it? Yeah.
3: <laughs> we should say except for uh what matters oh right okay <laughs> um
2: what great brands do is a book which I talk about probably one of the more recent ones i've I've read great book about yeah. great brands and how your brand becomes the compass for decision making. And that's something I, I whenever I do read anything, I bother everyone at uh, MA Financial saying, I've just read this and it's really good and we should do this. Mm. And that was that's pretty cool, If you, that book.
3: Nice one. Mm, nice. Uh, the next one is uh, forget valuation or anything like that, just purely on the company itself. What's the best company you've ever come across?
2: Oh, uh, gosh, the best company. <sighs>
3: It's a big question. <laughs> can I say equity, mate? You can, you yes. can. What a
2: great... Look, I, I I think it's an impossible question to answer, so I'm not going to answer it. I Fair don't know.
3: <laughs> we'll take the answer as equity, mate. it's yeah, equity, mate. <laughs> and then finally, uh, if you think back to your you know younger self starting out in investment banking, starting out as an investor, uh, what advice would you give to your younger self?
2: I, I think in terms of... A younger self starting out in a career would be be optimistic and don't don't worry too much because I think one thing I, I think we all do and I observe is, is people get really – they worry. There's a lot to worry about in the world. Worry, 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 worry. Don't worry too much because most things work out and if you've got a positive outlook um, and you're enthusiastic and you've got energy and you do the right thing, things will work out.
1: Mm. Nice. Nice. Well, great way to end, Andrew. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your thoughts and uh, can't wait to uh, you know, hear the feedback from our community as they tuck into the book. So a reminder, it's called What Matters. Um, so go and check it out. We'll have a link in our show notes, but absolutely appreciate you sharing your time with us today. Pleasure. Go Swans. Go the swans. Go the Bombers.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Equity Mates. We love hearing from you. So drop us a line at contact at equitymates.com or even better, go to your podcast player and leave a five-star review. Also, a reminder that the Equitymates content train doesn't stop when you've run out of episodes to binge. We've got a brand new website, a Facebook discussion group. We're on Instagram, YouTube, and slowly making our way as an influencer on TikTok. Well, that's Ren. So uh, come and say hello and join the community. We'd love to welcome you. Until next time.
0: Equitymates Investing Podcast is a product of Equitymates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. EquityMates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of EquityMates Investing podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. EquityMates Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast or video. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the EquityMates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to the elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.
3: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the
1: no brainers.